Hey, Harris. How's it going? I'm good. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing? Doing well. I'm glad we finally get this on the books. I know we've rescheduled a couple of times. Yeah, we did. But well, thank you for the invite. Well, appreciate having you on. Today, I'm joined by Harris Odobasic from Revenue Wizards. He's, our, he's one of the co-founders. And we've had an opportunity to try to get this on the book. So for the audience members, could you describe or at least introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. So I'm Harris, one of the co-founders of Revenue Wizards. We are B2B RevOps consultancy and go-to-market consultancy based in Amsterdam. And yeah, we work with Series A and B and C companies on anything RevOps. So really more on the strategic side, but also implementation work, be it HubSpot, Salesforce, uh, data warehouses. So quite diverse in when it comes to the different types of projects. So today, I think we're going to jump right into talking about helping to support the customer success team. I think one of the things that I've often seen with revenue operations teams is they often overinvest in marketing ops and sales ops in comparison, relative comparison to CS. They might be underinvested overall as a company, but if you look at the CX operations relative to the size of the sales ops or marketing ops, they're often you know one person, two two person shop really supporting uh, a pretty meaty and large org. I'm, I'm curious if you've seen the same thing supporting series A and series B startups. Yeah, I think definitely. It's really that CS was not just been Bravos a little bit neglected, but really by SaaS companies in general, right? If you think often when also being from the buyer perspective, we buy software, we evaluate them, you, they're really committed the sellers during the process. And once you're assigned, you maybe get the onboarding experience and then often you get left alone. I think it's also like, it's this one symptom that like CS just gets a little bit more neglected. And I think also currently probably also one reason why we see so much churn, right? So, and um, if you have not much engagement with the software provider and there's no reason to stay, well, you might churn as well. So I think it's a problem, but also an opportunity because I think there's a lot that can be improved. And um, and I think I see it also more happening at the moment, yeah. So I'm curious if you see this in a couple of the CRM instances. So let's imagine that a deal is closed one, the account mm -hmm. is now marked as a customer. When you're thinking about implementation, onboarding, adoption, engagement, do you see companies setting up their own custom objects or a deal to kind of match the customer engagement? Like what's the typical setup that you're saying? Yeah, I um, I think there's nothing typical as this really depends on the solution, right? I think some solution companies we are working with, they have a more complex setup, which sometimes also includes a little bit more handholding. Like for example, one is a reporting company which supports um, ESG reporting, right? And which is itself, the software facilitates a whole business process, right? So it's a lot of learning and engagement necessary with the clients in that regard. So and how do you keep track of that, right? You can keep a lot of the product uh, engagement in isolated in a Notion or Confluence or a separate project management platform. But there's a lot of opportunity building it out in Salesforce, for example, a custom object. And that later on can as well like lead to a health score. I think we can maybe talk about it later because I'm a big fan of creating customer health score. 
because they might be usually a better indicators of the customer health or churn um, than when going like the traditional NPS net promoter scores, which are not ideal for SaaS all the time. So yeah, I'm a big proponent of having a lot of the CS work in the CRM as well and building a custom model or a custom solution, right? Either plan head or similar. Yeah, so the way I tend to think about it is post acquisition, meaning the close one, yeah. that first stage is implementation. So CX stage one, CX stage two is focused on adoption. Then you focus on engagement or value realization. And then you mentioned NPS and CSAT. Those should be byproducts of a successful, yeah. successful of one of those, all three of those stages. And so the adoption implementation to me boils down to project management. Are we completing the steps that we need? And I see some companies move outside of CRM. They're moving into project management tools like ClickUp, Monday, or Asana. Yeah. But I've seen some companies actually put it into Salesforce. And I think either, no matter how you do it, as long as you're making sure that you're following all the right steps and getting the customer fully implemented as quickly as possible. So I want to flip over to you know post-implementation. The customer has been using the products for quite a while. You get a little bit of indication of product usage. You know, what are you what are you suggesting to to companies around how they can get visibility into that usage data? Yeah, I think product usage data, if it can really be automated and using it as product signal. So recently, for example, as an example with one client, um, we got they got like an email. First, they got an email. There's going to be a price increase regarding because they introduced a new feature. That's that's vendor. And that company never used that feature. So, but will they use the product signal data to understand, right? Oh, this company has never used this feature. And now we are sending them a price increase email for that feature. It's like not ideal. And especially if the company is already considering churning. So I think there's a lot of opportunity in understanding how our products use other Feels certain sections not used, not at all. Is there an opportunity to educate them, connecting it as well with marketing email? Hey, you can, you have three more users available to add. Hey, you have this feature that wasn't used, or none, and, and guiding them and training them. I think there's a big opportunity to drive adaptation, and and as well upsells, right? And making the customer happy. I think that's a big opportunity using these product signals to really inform upsell, but also for marketing opportunities. So let's just play that out a little bit. As a head of yeah. revenue operations, I'm going to my product team and I'm saying, hey, I need to have these product signals flash to my go-to-market team so that we can determine the right you know, go-to-market play. But oftentimes the data is actually locked away in some sort of product database. Mm -hmm. And the go-to-market team is likely ill-equipped to you know, get that data and shift it from you know the product database, Mongo, Metabase, wherever it's going to be, and then have it over sit into the CRM. I'm curious how you bridge that gap. Yeah, I think there are like tools like that can help facilitate the process. I think I think there are two roads, right? You can build it yourself with a data warehouse and Yell, which gives you a lot of flexibility doing that setup. And I see also like this more startup, like if you're combining like an Amplitude or June with like a software like Correlated, which you can really getting the signals automated, I think that can be a good process. And I think it depends which road you pick, depends a little bit also on your volume. 
right? If you're a heavy PLG, you might want to have a highly automated route. Depends as well. Sometimes the more manual route can also be if it's like, if it's really enterprise clients, if a volume over volume, then it's sometimes in the past we used to really dig it out manually. If you do it infrequently, but you have only a few hundred clients, I think that's still possible. So it really depends on the volume and the ticket size, which road to take. But yeah. Yeah, I think it boils down to a classic build versus buy decision. For yeah. the folks who don't have the skill, don't have the budget, don't have the time, you know, buying is a potential option. Now the budget is what's really important there. And then if you have the skill and the will, you could probably start to go ahead and build a solution. Um, you know, I have a data warehousing background um, or SQL background, so I'm accustomed to building it myself, yeah. you know, going out and getting a big query instance for the data storage and the data processing, and then setting up the ETL tools to be able to funnel data back and forth. I think what's lost on me is, you know, you know, learning the product itself, understanding what are the high value features. And that's where the partnership between partner, uh, between product and RevOps needs, uh, can sit where you have to define okay, well, how, how do we know which features to use? How do I track? Is it number record count? Is it logins? Is it time on site? You know, what, what is the moment where a customer says, I've realized value for the first time or first value moment. And then I'm, re I'm realizing sustained value and it's showing me that, you know, that my account is healthy. I'm curious how, how you go about working with your customers to identify those, those success metrics. Yeah, I think this is really unique depending on um, the client and the product they're having. Like, for example, one client, they had like uh, a strategic software that helps them with one strategy project and as well in the sustainability space. And um, it's like one exercise that's being done like once a year, right? So it is also like the aspect of seasonality. So sometimes it's not bad when something is not being used because it's going to be used at a certain point in a of a year. So and um and then you really can understand okay what part did they use and what not and um and I think yeah that really depends then on client to client basis because I think just general if, if you just checked who logged in or not but it's really more about getting a little bit more details what did they use what feature what functions how did they set it up did they use custom data did they only use everything that was included in the tool so I think we really need to look at in a one by one case for every product and it's going to be every time different because yeah, I think they're just a high level comp Bonds are still important, like how many people log in, how long did they use, how long the session duration was. But if we don't get input on what they actually did, it's not so insightful. You know, I want to throw this idea out to you. It's kind of interesting. I've been teaching this in the uh, revenue operations course that I teach. Yeah. And it's the concept of a user story. It's directly borrowed and stolen from product management. And it starts off as a Madlib. You know, Madlib is a sentence with like a blank mm -hmm. line. And you have to fill it in. So it starts out, out as, um, as a blank. So as a sales rep, uh, um, I want to blank so I can blank, right? So if you create those user stories for all the different folks who use your solution, because you probably have a number of different personas, personalities using the solution. So in your sustainability reporting situation, you have someone who's developing some sort of annual, you know, environmental sustainability goal report. 
um, once a year. And at the end of the day, they're not logging into the tools, my guess, every single day. They just need to log into once, download the data, probably take that data and either copy and paste it into a model of their own. And, you know, if you use like traditional metrics that Instagram would use for something like I log in every single day, that's not, that's going to be the wrong metric. The right Same. metric is, did we download the report? And then did I take that metric? Did I copy and paste it into a deck or did I, you know, copy paste data and move it into a model? And now you're getting to the world where you're outside of your product tracking. So it's very, it's a curious thing where you, now you have product usage metrics that don't go far enough because now you're, you're um, this particular client that you're bringing up doesn't use that use case. So I've often recommended have a business review, right? A quarterly business review or biannual business review, and you're uh, reviewing the business's goals. And then you're actually getting to see their usage. Cause I've seen a lot of data products like this ESG reporting client you're talking about. At the end of the day, they're probably using it just as some sort of data input for a model that's no longer trackable by the, by the, by the client. So I think it's really interesting. Um, I'm curious, yeah. you set up your reporting and for business reviews, What's like the number one request that you get from like a CX leader? You mean in what regard again? What's the number one request from a data perspective that you get from a customer success leader? Mm, yeah, I think it's again product usage and certain sections. So basically also the coming back or linking it to the point you mentioned, like what I really think it's a good idea to do and some clients did it as well. From the beginning when they sign up, what are going to be, like you mentioned, the success criteria in three months, six months, and using that for these reviews and for these product reviews, especially then, then get, we got the requests from the success leaders. How often did they log in? What did they use? Did they use this tool, which they, which we determined as the success criteria? Did they actually use that? Did they reach that goal? Can we see it? And that was like linking these two, like what are the success criteria and what is the data saying? And then getting in the call and the qualitative input from the end, from the client, and then combining that. I think that's also then the end, the missing piece for every good customer health score is like the qualitative input as well. Like when talking to the client and getting their input as well. And then you have the data view and what the client is actually saying. And if you combine both and you can put it then what we usually built in a customer health score, which in the customer success piece, managers are reporting qualitatively based on the feedback from the call, and that determines then a customer health score. So I fully agreed on that side, yeah. So it's interesting. I always think the lead score, an opportunity score, and a customer health score all have their strengths and their weaknesses, right? The strength is that it communicates a value that was, that was um, uh, created as a team effort to mm -hmm. define what's a good opportunity, what is a good lead, what is an MQL, what is a hygienic opportunity with momentum. And then for a customer health score, it's usually around this customer is happy and they're likely to renew or expand with us. I'm curious about your process to approach a client or customer with the health score, because I always find there's no off-the-shelf health score that you can find out there. Everyone has to create it on their own. Exactly. Like every time we create one on our own, which quite at the worst set of variables, like the the goals that we reach the quality goals, how is the product usage we checked? Um, did we talk to the decision maker in the last quarter? 
Did the decision maker open the emails we sent them in the last quarter? Are they engaging with marketing emails? Did they join webinars or any content? So we went really broad in that. And as we became, it was in a proxy. Okay, how engaged are they with the community? If they're more engaged, they're more likely to renew. Are they using the product? If they're using the product, they're more likely to renew. Are we talking to the right people? Are they still coming to us? Great. And then all of these factors basically in the end determined, are they going to renew? And I think that because we compared it when we just used an NPS and the health score, and the health score was a way better predictor of renewal than just like a net promoter score. It's interesting. So you mentioned a couple of things there, Ding, are powerful. One is engagement, multi-channel, mm -hmm. webinar, mm -hmm. uh, attending attending events, uh, multi product usage. We talked mm -hmm. about first value moment. Multi-threaded, I think that's an interesting one, making sure that you're not single-threaded. You're not just talking to the technical user, the admin, because the admin might leave or they might not have the time to spend with you. Plus they're not really giving you the story of ROI. And then and they access, don't hold the budget. Exactly, access to power. I think what's missing, I think I, I would also challenge is the fact that, you know, how do I know they're getting value from this, right? Because I see that they're engaged, there's product usage, we're talking to the right people, we're getting to power, but I can tell you how many solutions that I'm using and you know, behind closed doors, I'm probably complaining to my peers about the solution. That's probably going to show up either in the NPS or the CSAT, but that might not be run that survey in time for the renewal. So I'm curious, um, you know, have you ever seen a situation where the customer health score looks green and then the customer just churns and is a, is a surprise to the client? I'm curious about how you've kind of tweaked that. Yeah, um, the world is full of surprises, right? And um, I think if you, I didn't see it that much often because we were really, usually when we did such complex health score, it was usually a lot of enterprise clients and enterprise deals. And so the engagement level was always higher. And uh, meaning if you have to contact the conversations with them and often you even saw them in person due to conferences or similar stuff and um so not too many surprises but clearly the surprises there were sometimes surprises and often it's the stuff out of control like it's not in the control of the company like be that uh the key decision maker is then announcing he's gonna leave and then there's gonna be somebody new or um, budget cuts, right? Some stuff is out of control and then a health is an indication of health is still leads to churn. And, but quite or but less due to the fact that they didn't use the product or they were not happy. I think there, if you have a very detailed health score, you can prevent a lot, but there's still always stuff that's outside of your control. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I think that health scores are never perfect. But they're yeah. uh, they're they're a step in the right direction to having you have a, some insight into what's happening yeah. with the customer in relation to your solution, and ultimately, are you providing a solution to a problem? Because I can tell you that there are tools that I've used and I stopped using it because it's not solving my problem, and that to me is a canary in the coal mine. It's probably time to, you know, raise the alarm. Like, hey, I'm I'm noticing the product usage has dropped for particular users, let's set, let's set up our business review with our CSM and the customer to have a conversation around, are we still providing value? Are we still transformative for you? 
Um, so yeah, this, this thing is super yeah. interesting. I'm curious what you think, um, you know, the, the concept between like a, a score zero to a hundred or a traffic light, like red, yellow, green, do you have like an, uh, a, a preference between those two formats of showing health score? Um, usually I like to show the, uh, traffic light. The scoring is in the background and then the scoring then transforms just to the traffic light with a few thresholds because it's usually for the end user like um, or anybody in conversation, just so easy to digest. All right, they are in the green, they are okay, and they are at risk, like in red. Like it just like focuses attention, like really. And um but yeah, for the red ones, and then often in the side, we had like a checkbox or something like a rescue mission started that we launched. Like, okay, what can we do like to rescue them, especially if it's like a very significant deal, then everybody gets involved. What can we do to save them, right? And I think what you mentioned there, if you stop using it, and then, and even if the company then notice, oh, they are not using a product anymore, and then you want to ask for business review, and they are not responding to you, that's the biggest red flag because then it's like almost close to a lost deal. If they stop responding because you want to have no business review, then like 80, 90 person, they're going to churn because they don't give you a chance to even talk to you. I think that's interesting. Bringing up the engagement. I'd also like to see something um, interesting. I, I love the traffic light sim um, signals myself, red, yellow, yeah. green. I would almost love to see a vendor try to build something silly, like either like, five fireballs like oh that's a really hot deal really hot customer i would love to see some sort of uh differential differentiated uh, visual maybe you have like a michael jordan kobe bryant lebron and you can you can argue which one's greater <laughs> you can kind of guess which one's going to renew um okay so uh, you know this is the end of the segment i i always ask this from everybody and you have a unique background you actually came from kind of sales if, uh, if i remember right um, yeah. If you were to go back in time and talk to, you know, younger Harris, like what advice would you give someone entering the field? Um, I think the biggest advice, I think scale sales was an advantage there because I would say it's like your communication skill and your stakeholder management skills, because in revenue operation, you probably know it also quite well is we have to work with so many stakeholders and we have often the solution is very obvious also to point that out. But to get everybody aligned on the same community solution and to go that we are going that direction and finding the compromise, I think that usually takes the most time. And especially the bigger the organization, the more important are going to be your communication and stakeholder management skills. So I would say get them right from the beginning and, and invest in those and uh, then you will have success in RevOps. I think that's great advice. I appreciate you jumping on. You're one of the few people who've been talking about CS operations with me. So I think the audience is going to have great value from this one. Perfect. Thank you for the invite. All right. Thanks, Harris.